Okay, well, welcome everybody. It's Draft Politics. We're on to episode 16. As usual, I am one of your hosts, EJ, and with me is... It's Steve here. Uh, yeah, we're here. We're recording a little late this week. On the bright side, has given us a little time to uh, digest what happened in the debates. Also gave uh, EJ some time to fly back into the country <laughs> and get through customs and all of that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Got to get back through customs. Uh, make sure that nobody's checking my social media accounts or listening to my podcast while I'm waiting in line to get through. Uh, but it was an eventful week. There was a lot going on. So with the debates and some other things, it was maybe good to wait till the end of the week. Yeah. I mean, I think we had nominees at the beginning of the week and not at the end of the week. We had candidates at the beginning of the week and not at the end of the week. I don't think we gan gained any candidates this week. So that's a good thing. Thank God. Thank, <laughs> thank God. But yeah, I think a lot going on. Uh, on the national front this week. Yeah, there's uh, quite a bit of Trump saying Trump things this week. Um, I feel like it's a little higher than his usual quota of, of dumb things that he does. But um, there was the whole uh, blow up around first responders. And uh, as, as you may know, uh, the first responders bill uh, got passed in spite of the objections of uh, certain members of the Senate from Kentucky who are nominally libertarian. Nominally. Nominally. Uh, and Trump was going on about how helpful he was to the first responders and how he was there and trying to basically glom onto the work that they did there. I think he said, I was with you. Yes. I was with you. Yes. Not, not really, not, not actually with you, yeah. but, but in spirit. In spirit. Yes. From the Trump Tower. Yes. As he looked at the buildings, his buildings, make sure his buildings were now the tallest buildings because, yeah. you know, other certain buildings had been uh, removed. I mean, and look, I am, I, I believe this, that the president likes New York because he thinks he owns New York. And right. I think that it... The attacks of 9-11 probably did impact him in some kind of emotional way. And this was a long time ago, and he was a different person 18 years ago. That said, this kind of level of silly hyperbole oh, just doesn't make sense. It's just gross. It is, uh, and it's just kind of a why. Well, you know, it, it all comes back to the same issues with him, is that he's fundamentally insecure. He needs to act tough, act big, trying to say that he's one of the first responders in some fashion, you know, it, it, it both plays well to politics, but also just helps him feel better about himself. So anyhow, and I do think that that's about 80% of his motivation. Oh, yeah. Does this make me feel good yes. about myself? Yeah. And then uh, going out from there, he went after uh, Congressman Cummings about the conditions in Baltimore. Um, Cummings represents a, one of the poorer areas uh, in Baltimore. And he was talking about it being rat infested and things like that. And he would know because, as it turns out, uh, Kushner is, owns buildings in Baltimore that have been known for various problems like rat infestation. So... You know, he went right to the source. I mean, I know that people jump to all of the racist tropes very quickly. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, those were all racist, racist themes that carried yeah. through every one of those tweets. 
I feel like he's he's getting more comfortable with his racism. As as strange as that may seem, that like the yeah. more he twi- like, I feel like he feels he has a, he gets something some benefit out of that, and he's keeping and pushing the limits further and further the longer he's president. Yeah, and I I guess you know people are saying, well, it's not changing his approval ratings or. I don't really believe that. I think it probably has created the ceiling. Yeah. His sort of just ranting about things that feel unnecessary and clearly racist. Yeah, and and we were seeing, you know, reports that his approval had gone up because of some of the racist things he was saying. But when you look at the numbers over time and, you know, any given poll at any given time can be an outlier, it looks like there was no real bump one way or the other. He's consistently been under about 42, 43%. And I've seen no indication that he's going to get above that. No, I mean, he's he's hanging in there right now in the poll of polls, 42% approval. Nice work, 42.3. Um, again, I don't think anybody expects that to change whatsoever yes um now of course the the second thing that happened with that was that uh representative cummings house was broken into this week which just gave the president an opportunity to say oh too bad for you uh, you should know better i mean like <sighs> such such a piece of garbage i mean <laughs> <laughs> and and here's the other thing to think about I wonder how many people who have been residents of Trump Tower have been investigated, indicted, convicted oh, of things. it's a lot. <laughs> I mean, it feels pretty infested. Yes, it is. It is. Feels, feels pretty yeah, infested. And the, yeah, and just like there is a I, – I actually heard some the other day were like rattling off a list of – it was at least half a dozen like solid like – it was all white-collar corruption kind of stuff. Um, we know that uh, there's a good amount of Russian money invested in that, so I'm sure there's all kinds of nefarious stuff going oh, yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, the chances that you've got a Russian guy showing up at your door to pay in cash, probably not the cleanest of uh, yeah, bills. Yeah, there might be something going on there. I remember being in Las Vegas once and uh, playing poker, and I was sitting next to a, a couple Russian guys who had all hundreds that were from the 1950s which i thought was very interesting <laughs> yeah and it always struck with me stuck with me as sort of a huh that's those those have been out of circulation for a long time and they were not beat up looking bills they no. were very clean looking like just Anywho. came out of the wrapper yes uh so other news this week um Actually goes back to a previous comment I made. I believe it was on our last podcast when we were talking about the Mueller report. And we are talking about Mueller's testimony and how I referred to it as an audition by the Republican members of Congress yeah. for, for a job with Trump. And sure enough, uh, Representative Ratcliffe got uh, picked by Trump to be the new uh, director of national intelligence. Yeah, from Texas. Yes. Um, a little context on what the DNI is, because it's something that kind of develop, it developed after 9-11. Right. And what it was is we had uh, bad coordination between the CIA, the FBI, the, the none. DIA. The, there's like uh, several different intelligence agencies. 
and the DNI was set up as somebody to that all of that would report into and could then coordinate and plan things. And the intention was it would be somebody who had, and actually in the law it says that they need to have a certain amount of experience within, in, within the intelligence agencies. Uh, Radcliffe didn't really have like that. None of that. None of that. And I guess there were some sort of rumblings that even Republicans in the Senate were saying that he felt a little too partisan on things. Yes. And they felt that that was setting a bad example, which I guess it's good to say that sometimes. But yes. Yeah, and, and I I wrote this outline for a couple <laughs> days ago to talk about this guy getting becoming the new DNI, and today turns out that Trump has pulled that nomination. I am assuming that he got word from the Senate that that was not going to happen. So who knows? Well, or, or did Ratcliffe say he was removing himself? What maybe I don't, maybe I don't he didn't uh, fulfill his loyalty oath. Maybe maybe that was it. Or maybe he uh, his punch card actually wasn't filled. His bootlicking punch card oh, wasn't yes, filled. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Somebody gotta, checked it. Like, Kushner looks at it. He's like, no, no, you missed two. That yeah. one doesn't count. Right. He thought maybe the Mueller one. It he had gets expired. A bonus yeah. yeah, no. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, so it's, you got to be careful about that. Can't sort of get thing. appointed. Can't get appointed to that. Yes. I, I think the other, the other sort of, and I want to get away from our president, <sighs> Please. Don't, don't we all? <laughs> Please. Uh, but the other sort of very Trumpian thing this week was Donald Trump really getting into uh, the inner workings of the Navy again to suggest or demand that commendations that were given to the JAG officers who had prosecuted the Navy SEAL for murder... Uh, that those those commendations be rescinded. Yeah, this um, is the yeah. This was the Eddie Gallagher case um, where he had um, they had a prisoner and he had stabbed the person repeatedly in the neck, and he was being prosecuted for murdering the guy. Well, during the case, what happened was that one of the prosecution witnesses said that he himself had killed the guy by asphyxiating him. Yeah, the corpsman. Yes, the corpsman responsible yeah. for his care who was given immunity to testify yes. and changed his testimony 100%, 100% yeah. at the end and actually said, well, he did stab him, but I don't know how deeply he stabbed him or yeah. if that killed him. I don't and think that that stabbing killed him. And bearing in mind that this is a guy who was turned in by fellow SEAL, like the p fellow members of his team. Yeah. So it's not like... You know, like, I mean, that's not something that usually happens for, you know, an accidental multiple stabbing of somebody, you right. know? It's, <laughs> it requires a little more deliberation than that. Yeah, and, and it's worthwhile to go out and, and kind of dig into some of those details because the whole story is kind of surreal. Yeah. Up to and including the sort of Perry Mason point in the trial where the other person, the witness says, no, I did it. Yes. Which... I think blew everybody away, um, and it's really exposed some other things in the SEAL community. So there's now a review that's going on of the SEALs, but it's also very unusual for the president to kind of step in and very publicly, uh, you know, obviously via Twitter, come out and say, no, we need to rescind those commendations because those were terrible people who, you know, unfairly prosecuted this, this yeah. SEAL. and I. And I and I and I have to appreciate the irony of somebody who so aggressively dodged 
the draft, deciding who and who isn't getting commendations for that kind of thing. It's it's. <sighs> Today's sigh brought to you by Donald Trump. Yeah. as usual. As usual. So, maybe talk. Let's. Uh, I, I, mean, I think I think we can get away from him. I think we're. Ish, we're good. Okay, let's. Yeah, I think, I think we're, we're, we're going to be less Trumpian now. Maybe less Trumpian. Um, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about Mitch McConnell. Oh, you mean hashtag Moscow Mitch? Uh, I yeah, I think Moscow Mitch. Yes, uh, he really seems to be bothered by this one. I I'm I'm looking at ordering one of the T-shirts. So the Kentucky Democratic Party has released swag. That's Moscow Mitch swag. So there is a T-shirt. There is a, my favorite, a Moscow Mule mug, like one of those copper mugs that says Moscow Mitch on it. Oh, yes. <laughs> EJ is, is rapidly on, Googling yeah. this now because he has not seen this. KYDemocrats.org. Maybe, maybe not the best well, URL. Yeah. <laughs> but KYDemocrats.org. You can pick up your own Moscow Mitch shirt. I will probably order one before the end I of this. I might go for the mug. I feel like that the Moscow Mule Moscow Mitch mug is just like, it's a lot of M's, first of all, but uh, that sounds too good. They also have the Moscow Mitch brown, brown Cossack hat. Yes. Which could be fun. Uh, but yeah, no, so <laughs> apparently that's kind of upsetting McConnell. Um, and let's remember that uh, there's an aluminum plant being uh, plan for Kentucky, uh, and if I recall correctly, who it's connected to was uh, Deripaska, yep, uh, the the Russian oligarch. And apparently, some of Mitch's people were involved in helping to get that deal. There's all kinds of stuff here, and he's continuing to block any election reforms that might help reduce Russian influence. Uh, one very specific and simple thing is uh, the Fire Act which is Foreign Influence Reporting in Elections Act. And all that would do is say that if a foreign government reaches out to your campaign, you are required to report it to the FBI. Which that should be a no-brainer. Like low bar. Yes. Low it's bar. It's not that complicated. Not that much of a burden. Like, if you, are you getting a lot of foreign contacts? Maybe you have more paperwork that way. Okay, but... I don't think too many are, except for perhaps one campaign. I mean, I think we could set up a website... I'd volunteer to do it. It would yes. take about an hour. Yeah. They could just self-report. Little checkbox. You know what? They could just a text from it a to some number. Like, uh, uh, yeah. I'll come up with a number later. Uh, yeah. We'll get to that. Four, oh, six, nine. So, you know, and if you look at his reticence to do anything around a bipartisan issue here, and we saw that report from the Senate Intelligence Committee come out. Yeah, and this is bipartisan. Like, yeah. the House has been very bipartisan on passing legislation around this. Um, and the Senate actually has support, too. It's just that McConnell controls the Senate. So he can decide what goes and what does not. Right. And nothing is getting through except the budget deal. He did push on that to go through. And judges. And judges. Yeah. That's it. That's all he was, all he's doing. So, you know, we get this opportunity to show how government should work you have a the intelligence committee does a very deep investigation of the potential for influence and what we need to do and they come back and they say in 2016 all 50 election systems 
were attacked by the Russians. And more than 20 successfully exploited. Uh, here in Illinois, ours was broken into. Yeah. Um, to our knowledge, nothing was altered in any of these systems. Now, one of the things to call out here, though, is Russia may have decided that it was not worth doing because of the concern of blowback from Obama's administration. Because Obama had taken Putin aside at a, uh, at a summit and had made it clear that we knew they were in our systems and that we were not going to like let that stand if they try to push it too far. And so all of those vulnerabilities, I mean, presumably many of those vulnerabilities have been fixed. Even though Trump is in charge, there are still, you know, the agencies have their people who yep. are nominally going to do the work they need to do. Those state governments operate their own systems. So it's not like we're totally unprotected, but there's nobody who's going to take Putin aside at that, at that no. summit and tell them you can't do it. No. Maybe somebody will take him aside and say, keep yeah. up the good work. Yes. And, uh, I, I, you know, something you said about state, you know, the states can do things on their own. Um, I think something like 24 states applied for federal grants to help for that, and only nine were given any right. funding. So. So, again, there was maybe an opportunity for the government to be somewhat functional. I think Mitch McConnell has, you know, killed that in yes. the legislative graveyard that is the Senate right now. Yes. So, again, we've said this before, and I think it's we can kind of move on to Susan Collins here because it's relevant. I, I'll tell you what. If anybody said to me, what's the most important thing for me to do in this next election? I would be hard-pressed not to recommend finding a Senate campaign to work on. Absolutely. Um, because as terrible as the president is, you know, we are, we are in a world right now where something like 25% of the federal judges have been appointed by Donald Trump. Yes. And that's after... Three quarters ish of one term. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Yeah. And the dog agrees. The dog Senate agrees. races are very important. And there's plenty of them out there that have been some big ones. And the biggest one, I think, is probably uh, Susan Collins oh, of yeah. Maine. Because yeah. she's been pretty bulletproof for a while. And she's constantly tried to run ride this line of, well, I'm Republican, but I'm pro choice. But then she went out and voted for Kavanaugh. And it seems that has finally undone that facade. Um, there was, you know, the people who donated money, donated yep. $4 million towards her opponent to be named later because of the Kavanaugh hearing. Uh, and it sounds like it's actually affected her polling numbers to the point that she's really actually looking at maybe not running at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so everybody, wait, wait, don't respond to those polls for a little while. Maybe respond the other way. We'd like her to run and then get crushed. Yeah. And there is a good candidate running against her. I believe it's the uh, Speaker of the House in Maine. Uh, she's running against her. I forget her name off the top of my head. But it's like there's actually a good, yeah. credible okay. candidate who's popular in the state. And so I think that's a, a factor about why she's in trouble in addition to Kavanaugh yeah. and all of that. I, look, I would go to Maine and knock on doors. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, this is... 
this is the important thing. I mean, yes, having the presidency would help tremendously <laughs> because we'd be making the appointments, but... I mean, really, we need both. And honestly, yeah. if we're able to get those Senate races, we'll also get the presidency. It's going to be the same yeah, volunteers, true. you know. And, and one of the things, just a little inside baseball about elections, is that when you're... When you're in a presidential year election, a lot of times you will have connections all up and down the slate where, you know, each people are cross promoting candidates. So somebody who is a Elizabeth Warren supporter will be promoting the opponent to um, Susan Collins, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. And you'll find some down ballot races get picked up. And that's, you know, that is going to be a big deal when we start talking about enthusiasm of the base in 2020. Absolutely. So. You know, as you, you know, as you get people out to vote, um, you, you could certainly on the Republican side, I would say you could have people who are would vote for a Senate Republican and not vote for Donald Trump or the other way around. Yes. Um, yeah. And some people will split their vote to like yeah. do Democrat House versus Republican president. There's all kinds of things like yeah. that. But, you know, I think as you're if you're looking to get involved, you know, really think hard about looking at a, a Senate race rather than a presidential race, even though I know I'm tempted to like put all my money and in, 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 in time into you know, Warren's campaign, as I've said before. But you know, those Senate races are going to probably matter more when, when the game is done. Yeah. I, I, or I think it'll be easier to make a difference in some of those yes, Senate races. Yes, yes, absolutely, um, yeah. And uh, something else that I'd, I'd say here... Um, is that we should come back to that sort of money question and volunteering and spreading ourselves when we talk about the candidates. Yes. Um, because that's, we're seeing some interesting trends uh, on the Democratic side in terms of support for people, um, which I think are good and interesting and weird. Yeah. So let's talk about the House, though, for a minute. Yeah, uh, follow-up. So we, and we've, this is two weeks, three weeks in a row. Three weeks. We've brought up good old Will Hurd. I mean, Texas. we're a Will Heard podcast. So, now. if you go back three weeks ago, I was talking about his uh, his vote against Trump and was making assumptions about why he did that. Last week, I I called myself out for why I was making those assumptions. This week, he's decided he's retiring <laughs> because and and that is actually it is a swing district and that makes this a a decently likely pickup for Democrats. So this this is actually a big problem for Republicans. Yeah, so he's the last, the only African-American representative in Congress for the Republican yes. Party. Um, he did, I think, I'm not positive, say specifically that your comments about him kind of pushed him over the well, edge. Well, maybe. I, I may have misheard it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, you know, I, 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 but you know, hey, Democrats will get it, so I, actually I'm not that sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sure sorry. he's a good guy. But. And he's got to, he'll have some free time after next year, so maybe he wants to join the, right. the podcast. Uh, we'd be we'd yeah, be we can bring him in, have an interview with him after like after the Buttigieg interview, after the Buttigieg, which is after the Beto interview, right? Now, well, speaking of Senate races, right, right? No, not yet. No, maybe, no, uh, maybe, no, not yet, not yet. Yeah. So, uh, but what, uh, does he make eight or nine Republicans? Who have said who are retiring? Uh, I don't know the exact number, but it, it's interesting to see the ongoing hemorrhaging that the Republicans are having. It's not, you know, it, it, it suggests that they are aware of 
the difficulty they're going to have with Trump at the top of the ticket, at least in those districts. Some districts, it's like you have to be as loyal to Trump as possible. In other districts, it yeah, it's so not, not going to work out for you. He's the eighth in 2019. Okay. To announce his retirement and or their a, retirement. And everything I've heard is that once they go to recess, there's going to be several more. So Yeah. And, I, you know, there's going to be a lot of analysis of this and sort of reading the tea leaves. And is it, is it them just saying, well, I don't want to be in a Trumpy Republican Party? Uh, is it really saying, well, it's... It's just too bad an environment for Republicans and even... You know, it's a, it's a much better environment for lobbying than it is for being a Republican in, in the House minority. So, you know. Um, well, and also keep in mind that after, after this coming election, that's the 2020 election, we have the census, we have redistricting. So right. that's going to shift a lot of what's going on with who's even, whose offices even exist at that point. So... You know, lots of things are going to change, and so this is a, probably a good time to get out if you're if you're thinking you're on the fringe. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think three of the retirements have been from Texas, which we'll probably see a pretty big shift in the 2020 census. There will be a lot of moving things around, or yes. maybe not. Maybe there will just be they'll go to two districts, one with weirdly drawn everybody with a vaguely Hispanic <laughs> last name. Right. And Austin. Right. And then every place else. Who knows? And Jerry Jones will be the one representative from Texas. Right. So, I, I, again, I don't have a long enough history to know if there have been these kinds of sort of mass retirements. Um, but it does feel really interesting. And the I more feel like the... the, the they tend to have, I mean, it usually is telegraphing, like, we don't think we're going to do well. I mean, if you think you're going to be the, the people in power, you stick around. Yeah. Why not? Right. And, uh, you know, I guess in, in some of the polling data that I've seen, God, it, I know I've said this before, polling data sucks when you're this far out. But, you know, Democrats with sort of a generic Democratic ballot is like six or seven points up yeah. for House races. Um which is not as good as it was in 2018, right? And I think where it ended, where the polling was. So I think the polling well, was like yeah. eight points. And, and I think it's worth keeping in mind that, that that polling in 2018 is where it ended up. We're still early in the race at yeah. this point, so we'll see what happens as we get closer to an actual election. Yeah, so, and we're going to have to keep looking at it. I mean, we're going we're gonna to hear from, I think, different representatives we know that there's going to be a lot of pressure on the House of Representatives as sort of more and more, we haven't talked about this at all, but I think we probably should, more and more Democrats kind of come out in favor of at least official impeachment proceedings. Yes. And we're now at the halfway point. So there is a majority of Democrats. 118, 119-ish. Yeah. Uh, who are now in favor of impeachment. So that's going to put more pressure on Pelosi to now sway the other half of the caucus because she's largely been sort of holding ground yeah. for them. Um, and that's going to be a little bit of an awkward position when the majority is against her at this point. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they, there's still no vote they could win, right? Because well, yeah, they're going to need to get all of the Democrats on board right. to, to get it to make impeachment happen, right. but all the minus, you know, 31 or whatever. Right. So 
Because yeah. you'll still get Justin but it's still Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's like you want it to be as unified as possible. Yes. But. And I think that unification of the unified front of the Democratic Party is a, is a good topic. I think we'll probably be coming back to again and again and again and again and again from now until November of 2020. Yep. Uh, for a number of reasons. But that is, it's really interesting to me to see what is kind of pushing different candidates, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, different representatives to sort of say they're, they're from there. And what I'd really love to see is a really detailed breakdown of those, uh, those representatives who have come out in favor of the impeachment um, uh, compared to their districts and sort of how purple slash blue they are. And I, I would suspect that the vast majority are in very, very safe places. Right. Um, well, it's been shifting. Yeah. So, I mean, once you start getting to that high a number, you're starting to push more. Into I mean, there have to be some, right? The purple districts, yeah, for sure. Um, and how many freshmen there are. Yeah. You know, again, it's a, it, it's a, it's a difficult thing. Uh, you know, I, I would love to say that I could hold them at fault for sort of not doing their jobs because I think it is the job of the Congress to to serve as a check and balance against the president and I think that there's enough evidence here that they should do the they should have the investigation it should be said that they're doing that and I don't know the sort of Nadler saying well in court filings we've said essentially that we're doing impeachment yeah. investigations it's like gonna that's be, not quite the same it's going to be hard to see I mean because the reality is, is you know the same resistance to getting those investigations to uh, get that, you know, those documents they need to get the testimony they need. That resistance is still going to be there. They're still going to have to work through the courts to get that stuff. Yeah. Impeachment gives them a little more clout, theoretically, but it ultimately depends on the judges they're dealing with. So, you know, and which gets back to that 25%, 25% number you're right? throwing out. So, <laughs> who knows? Shivers. Um, so, it, it's... Uh, I don't know. To me, I, I, I get it why, you know freshmen congressmen especially would struggle with being very public about this if they're in a in a district that is at all purple just the smallest twinge because as we've kind of said before and it, it's worth bringing up something some big percentage of a congressperson's job is fundraising and that's going to be a that's going to be the thing that dominates every conversation. Well, if you do it's it. a lot easier to get the grassroots fundraising if you're out there and taking a stand and leading. Um, I know certain certain representatives that I backed in the previous election that I went out and tried to get out the vote for and sent money to that haven't come out for impeachment. I'm like, I'm not going to bother with you. I've I've called and I've asked them to you know yeah. what their position is and try to apply pressure. Come on, give me a couple. Like, give me something. Give me who? Oh, Lauren Underwood. Oh, Underwood. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I like her. I think she's, I think she has a bright future. But she's got to. I mean, I get the situation she's in, but I feel like she's got to put herself out there a little bit more and take a stand. And I think that if she does, she will. Yes, she will probably risk some votes, but she will also get some more energized supporters who will help her win the next election. Okay, so there. I think everybody's on recess now. At least the Senate is on recess now, essentially. So they're going to go back to their home districts. Everybody's going to hear from their constituents. What do you think? Do you think 
when we get back from the recess, there will be more people in favor of I impeachment? I think what's going to happen, basically, if we're going to have impeachment, it's going to have to happen in the fall. Because if we don't, if we don't get it done, then we start getting closer and closer to the election. Yep. And then there's going to be pushback to say, but it's going to interfere with the election. So if you're going to do it, you know, that's the time to do it. And so hopefully these people are back home in their districts. They're strategizing. They're figuring out what their rollout plan is going to be. They're maybe having a town hall where they say, this is where I stand on this. Or people are pressuring them in those town halls or whatever to say, hey, where it's do you time. stand on this? Yeah. Yeah, and making them take a stand for sure. So everybody, if you're in one, if you're seeing your representative and you f- believe in this, put them to the test. And if they do come out in favor of it, be sure to give them the kudos and say that they did a good thing. I uh, I supported uh, Mike Quigley's opponent in his last election. He came out in favor of impeachment. I think it's a great thing, and I'm glad he did it. I really still wish the other one had won, but that's okay. It's fine. I'll get over it. Um, anywho, uh, a couple of last little things on the national side. Um, there was a study of uh, the voter purges that have happened in the counties that were originally subject to the Voting Rights Act. So yeah, this what happened was this all got overturned because the Supreme Court said, well, you know, the, the preclearance wasn't fair and they're not, you know, there's basically saying that the country's not as racist as it was and so therefore it's okay uh in those counties that were formerly subject to this they have a 40 percent higher rate of voter purging than counties that were not that's that's an awfully weird coincidence (laughs) Uh, yeah and when you have uh somebody like (laughs) you know when you have secretaries of state Right, who are, you know, very vocally talking about, you know, specific specific voters, spe- specific types of voters, specific races. I don't know how any reasonable person could think that there isn't the same racism going on. Oh, absolutely. Or you know, maybe you know, people like Brian Kemp who, as Secretary of State, kind of said, well, we're worried about black voters exercising their right. And has recently said it again. Oh, and... and like within last week, right, or two and weeks? Well, and there was... And, and in Georgia, there's a law... The lawsuit... So there was a lawsuit... There's the original, like, lawsuit around the voting and what happened with that. And there was a preservation of records request as part of that. Because they wanted to be able to see what yeah. was being done with the, yeah, yeah. the election system, and there were those records were destroyed. So there's people who are thinking the consequences of violating a court order and destroying records are better, better. than what we had that would have come out had we not destroyed it. <laughs> ah, Georgia, Georgia on my mind. Come on, Stacy. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've been I've been sending donations to her uh, organization there, trying to get things fixed uh, with the yeah that's voting a good, system there. That is a good organization. That's the other thing. If you're not into like, you're not sure about your senator, you don't have something close. Getting out the vote and making sure that people have the ability to vote when they legally should 
<laughs> that will make a huge difference. Stacey uh, Abrams has is not running for president yet. So that she was one on we've her. talked about. <laughs> Thank remember you. Remember, we've said like, oh, is she coming out? That was I remember talking about her in like April. Yeah. I'm um, thinking that she was going to come out and and run for president. Yeah, I feel like if she was going to do it, she would have done it by now. Yeah, I hope so. Um, so yeah, so that pretty much takes care of the domestic stuff. Uh, international, little transition because we're talking about the Pentagon. Uh, but apparently the Pentagon is looking at a peace deal with the Taliban after all these years. Um, so we'd be drawing down, we wouldn't be completely leaving, but drawing down several thousand more troops. Um, and what comes with it is some assurances that the Taliban would not be using Afghanistan as a base for terror attacks, um, that they would engage with the Afghanistan government in peace negotiations. Uh, that's nice. About time we got around to that. <laughs> is this... Now, what I'm curious about is, who's initiating this? Uh, yeah. Because it feels like something that... I don't know. Like, I don't see Trump doing that, but who It knows? seemed to come out of nowhere. Right. Didn't it? Yeah, I know. It was like random. I like I heard about this today, and I'm like, really? Right. That's... Who's, somebody's still panicked. Somebody, somebody's there. You feel like... The lights are still on at the Pentagon. Cool. Uh, there's a reasonable chance... That there were some diplomats that were still there that nobody remembered. Like, you know, they were asking Donald Trump about everybody, and he's like, didn't remember that was a country. Right. And so they've just been doing some work for a while. Yeah, like just under the radar. Yeah. Like, okay. Like, send an email. Hey, guys, good news. And he's like, who is this person? Thought they were being wasn't trolled. It, wasn't it like a week ago where he was saying he could nuke Afghanistan? Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. Just, all right. I've <laughs> it was. <laughs> It was. I'd be so glad and when we're done with this timeline. Like, I don't know what... <laughs> I don't know how this all ends, everybody, but <laughs> I really hope it, that Trump is gone in 2020 because I can't, I can't keep doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so, you know, I'm a parent, which means I don't get to see movies ever. But That's I also right. travel. There aren't that many good ones, so you're okay. But I also <laughs> travel, so you know, a, a small, a small little anecdote was, you know, me travel. I, I was traveling this week, and it's appropriate here. I was in, I was in England. Had some really good conversations this week because they've had some change in leadership, as we've talked about. But I was coming back on August first, and I know that the movies on planes change on the first right. of the month. And I was hoping against hope when I got on the plane that Avengers Infinity, Infinity War, or I'm sorry, Endgame was going to be on there. Yes. Sure enough, it was on there. And I was thinking about these timelines, and I was like, well, maybe, I guess, spoiler warning for anybody who's just as sad as I am and didn't see Endgame until this week. But it's like, well, maybe somebody didn't return the Infinity Stones to the right place, and we're on that little branch <laughs> right. thing. Damn it. Fat Thor or Captain America? <laughs> Why haven't you done that right? <sighs> so, anyhow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Art of the deal, some good art of the deal yeah, stuff. Trump offered to help India negotiate a deal for uh, Kashmir, uh, peace in Kashmir with, with uh, Pakistan. And uh, the Indian government said, no. no. <laughs> Gee, <Who>? funny that. <laughs> What's going on? Please, please don't. 
Um, he also uh, threatened higher tariffs on China. 25%. Yeah. Things like toys yeah. and electronics. So we had the, uh, the, uh, the Fed, you know, do a little downtick in interest rates to kind of help juice the economy a little bit. And then Trump had to go and just totally offset that by saying, and we're going to have more trade wars. Uh, well, so this is a really interesting thing to me, right? Because Donald Trump is going to get out there and he's going to crow about how great our economy is. And I know we're back on national politics. It's hard to avoid them, people. But, you know, he (laughs) said, you know, the economy is so great. Job, like, unemployment is low. Stock market is awesome. Things are unbelievable. And then also pressuring the Fed to lower interest rates, which it hasn't done since 2008. So a lowering of interest rates now is really unusual and inconsistent with both messaging and and most of the other data that would be seen. Now, when the chairman of the Fed comes out and he says, well, we're kind of doing this preemptively because, you know, in very Fed speak, and everybody who thinks most consultants kind of use sort of vague terms and are sort of loquacious in a way to talk around the issues, I mean, listen to the Fed. Because essentially what he said was, well, the tariffs that we've put in place are screwing up the global economy. So we're going to lower interest rates, I guess, because we've screwed things up on our own. Yeah. I don't know. So it's it's an interesting question. Whose job is it? If the president makes bad choices, is the Fed supposed to clean them up? Yes. I mean, I don't, that's I mean, really, that's been what the Fed has been doing historically. I mean, it's been I mean, at least in the last 20, 30 years. It's been like hard to get fiscal policy to do the right thing. So it's been the Fed going through and sort of tweaking monetary policy to make up for the shortfall. Right. And you saw that with, under Obama with, you know, the quantitative easing and all that sort of stuff. Well, I think um, it expanded a great deal under Obama. I mean, yeah. that was the thing. Like there were actions the Fed took that they had never taken before. Right. So now, granted, we were in a unique situation, but you know, there was a lot of stimulus that could have been done that that Republicans uh, had refused to do. And Obama did what he could to get that out there. But ultimately, the Fed ended up having to sort of make up for that shortfall. So I think in our next episode, we should talk about the deficit and spending. Oh, yeah. But maybe I shouldn't preview that. Maybe I'll say in some random future episode, but I don't want people to avoid the next episode because we'll be talking about deficits and spending and the fact that the Republicans have approved more spending under Donald Trump than combined under Obama. Anyway, it doesn't matter. And I might even come out and say deficits don't really matter as much as people like to think they do. Oh, controversy on the next episode. On the next episode. At least we don't have to talk about the debt ceiling. If we remember. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So we go on from there. Uh, North Korea has been doing missile tests uh, to in response to uh, South Korea and U.S. doing joint exercises. Uh, I believe the last time these exercises were supposed to happen was around the time when Trump decided they weren't going to happen as part of his love fest with Kim Jong-un. Yeah. Uh, largely, it seems that... N- None of the negotiations with North Korea have really amounted to much of anything, and we're kind of back to the way it used to be. Where oh, sure. They, they launch missiles. They, they will occasionally blow up something, and we'll go, okay, don't do that, and that's it. And they'll say, sure, we won't do that. Um, I mean, until next week. Yeah. 
And then, uh, you know, talking about trade fights and all that, uh, Japan and South Korea are in a bit of a spat right now and having trade problems. And, and one of the things that's interesting about watching that dynamic is that, like, Japan and South Korea, like, they don't, like, they have some really rough history with each other because from, stemming from World War II and, and all of that. So, and even earlier than that, I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, so there's some pretty heated stuff going on there. Um, but, you know, nothing, you know, we'll see what happens from it. Uh, it's, I don't, I do wonder though, as I hear about that is like, is Trump sort of putting something in the water? Like, like with the, with racism and how he puts that out there and it sort of like opens the ground for more people to be more expressive about that is, is his p- trade policy sort of helping to sort of like create that environment where normalized kind of trade things. wars make sense. Yeah. Um, maybe. And be and look, Japan and South Korea have a have a linked economy. Right? So, you know, you'll see, you know, things around manufacturing of components for electronics, memory chips, you know, and whatnot. So, you know, there are manufacturers from both countries who are, you know, have manufacturing done or they're outsourcing or buying from from uh, partners in the other country, and so that's going to have an impact on both sides. Yep. Um, I do want to say, so I, I said I was in England this week. Um, I had some really interesting conversations. Now, Boris Johnson is the new prime minister, um, little Boris. And one of the things that I thought was interesting, both in news coverage and then talking to people, is people's comparison of Boris Johnson and Donald Trump. Because I think the easiest way to put it is that they lie a lot. Oh, right? yeah. They both. And the hair. And the hair. <laughs> and the hair. But they lie a lot. Yes. So, you know, this idea that, well, they kind of got where they were just by making stuff up and whatever's most politically advantageous. But then everything ends that, that you know, we'll see, well, well, maybe Boris Johnson is. Is a little loose with the facts, but you know he's a lovable guy, and you know he's kind of disheveled, and and then they talk about what an act it is. So his whole sort of facade of being a little, a little discombobulated, is all an act, and how you know his policies and how his feelings on things change day to day, whatever is the most advantageous for him. Um, but he really loves England, and he he loves these things, and so he could be okay. Um, and well, and then they look at Donald Trump and just say, "Well, Donald Trump's a buffoon," which is a very, I think, British word. But yes, so it was it was uh, some interesting conversations with folks folks there, and of course, they all wanted to talk as well about Circus 2020 and what's going to happen. Is Donald Trump going to be the next president? Is it going to be Kamala Harris? Is it going to be Bernie Sanders, the socialist? Those were the kinds of questions I got. Yes. So this week, uh, we decided we're going to record at Spiteful Brewing. We were trying to find somewhere we could find a nice, uh, at least semi-outdoor space on a Friday night. That isn't going to be super rammed. Yes. And they've got the garage doors open. There's a nice little breeze blowing through. I mean, I love this place. And that's the thing when we mostly record on Mondays. You know, when it's a Friday, it's a different day. And it is, I believe, National Beer Day. I'm willing to believe you. I. I mean, which I, well, to me yes, is every I think day. it was yesterday was National IPA Day. So maybe oh. we're like working through specific brews <laughs> and now varietals come to the collective holiday of National Beer Day. Uh, so so we're here at Spiteful up on Belmoral, which is a great place 
just setting is great. The atmosphere is great. I, I went with a Rattler today because I didn't want the second half of the show to be the 7.5-induced uh, one. But I've got this really nice Rattler. It's beautiful. It is uh, very tasty. It's light. Um, I, I really enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Yeah, and no, I love Rattler, especially on like a summer day. It's great. Yeah. Um, I uh, had a Rattler uh, before we got started and switched over to the Spiteful Lager, which I have to say I've become a real fan of lagers. And, and I always used to think of lagers as all being kind of the same, but I've really gotten to like the like little nuances of and just all the kinds of different good ones that uh, you can find around Chicago. And Yeah, Sp- I mean, that is one of the things that I've really learned actually doing this podcast and going to different places because... You know, we've gone to some of those, some of those spots that are sort of heavy on the German style beers. If it's Metropolitan Dovetail, Dovetail, and you know, forced me to get outside of my, you know, whatever ninety four IBU <laughs> rut, <laughs> and into some of those lagers, which are beautiful. And and I think I've really started to appreciate some of the the lighter tasting, lighter on the tongue kind of beers. And I. I may have another Rattler, maybe not, because alley time is so fantastic, and it's hard to pass up an alley time, um, but, but really good. I, I can't speak highly enough about just coming to this neighborhood. If you come here to Spiteful or if you uh, go up the road, you've got plenty of good choices here on Belmoral. Yeah, you can ha- yeah. Quick, quick walk over to Half Acre, yep. a little longer walk to uh, Empirical. Not too bad. I, it's, it is good stuff on this north-south corridor. Absolutely. So we're going to change up things a little bit this week because we have so much to talk about around Circus 2020 after the debates. Um, just the most ridiculous bicycle built for two just rode by. Okay. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my announcement. <laughs> Going forward, EJ just starts acting like he's just seen the most I, I, crazy I, thing ever. It was the most crazy thing I've ever seen. And this is a guy who just rode in a lift that featured Cookie Monster giving directions and a fantasy novel being read. Uh, fantasy romance. Fantasy romance, okay. Romance novel being yes. read in okay. very bad British accents with yes. Cookie Monster interrupting every once in a while to say nom, nom, nom. Yes. So this was. Uh, so, th- so that's to give you a sense of where we're at and the bar that has just been set. <laughs> um, but anyhow, what we're going to do, we're going to wrap up uh, now, and uh, we're going to separate it out. So the Circus 2020 is going to be with the local side, just to cause a little confusion for you. A little bit of confusion. Because uh, we've got a, a lot more to cover there, and uh, we didn't want to go too long on this. So I think we're good. We're bu- we'll be back. All right. Take care, everybody. <laughs>